she accepted it. Joseph, man, it was real tough for him. You know, just face it. The reality is Mary told him she was going to have a baby, and it wasn't his baby. And he knew they had not physically been together. And the Bible lets us know that he decided to break up with Mary. That's, that's a lot of stuff you're going through emotionally. It doesn't sound very fun, does it? It's all God's fault, too. Think of that. So what happens is uh, he decides to break up with her. Then an angel visits him. And Gabriel says, don't be afraid. What Mary told you is true. I personally think he was super relieved. I do. I think he loved her so much. He just couldn't get his head around what it really would mean for her to be pregnant with God's baby. But I think he's relieved. I think he's excited. And they come together. They're going to be married. And that's where we pick it up today with the whole story of Jesus being born. I, uh, I loved, as a kid, I used to watch this show called The A-Team. How many of you know what The A-Team is? Remember that? And was that, that was the one with Mr. T, wasn't it? And uh, all the jewelry, funny guy. Well, there was another guy on that show, and I'm sorry I don't know his name, but he was the older guy with the white hair. And uh, he, at the end of the show, I was thinking about this Christmas story and just the whole plan of God. And I don't know why, but randomly this week as I was walking through all this, this, this show just popped into my brain. And this statement that at the end of every one of those shows... They would be like riding off into the sunset or something, and he would always say the same line. Does anyone know what line it was? Look at you. I love it. He would say, I love it when a plan comes together. And and I, I think that's probably the feeling of like how God is viewing Christmas because he has the big elevation view. He's seeing all the stuff. He's seeing all the prophecies from the Old Testament. He's seeing how long he's worked this plan. And he's finally going, wow, it's all happening. But in the micro level, Joseph and Mary can't see the big picture. Welcome to our world. We can't see the big picture. And we try and try and try and we try to figure out God. And today is all about this story messing messing with us again. Because there's some things that happened that I just, I'm just sad they happened because I think it brought a lot of trauma. But I know it was God's plan and God's will. And it's going to help us to know that you can be in God's will even when it's not perfect in life. Number one in your outline, if you're following along in the back of the program there, God's timing is not predictable. How many of you already know that? See, one thing I love about God is how predictable He is. And you can tell the measurement of time, the galaxies, how He planned. It's amazing. But when it comes to the timing of Him intervening, with the things in your life, it's, it seems like it's just never on time. It's, it's just never going to work out. And it's frustrating to us because we pray and it's almost like, God, why haven't you done this? That's what's about to happen to Joseph and Mary. And it's tough what they're going to face. So let me read it. Luke chapter 2. If you have a Bible, just open it up to Luke 2. We're literally just going verse by verse here uh, through the, that passage. Luke 2 verse 1. At that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took 
with him Mary, his fiance, who was now what? Okay, what does what does obviously pregnant mean? Right? Obviously pregnant. That little word means there was a sign that she had a baby in her tummy. Yeah. Um, you know, I I can't imagine I can't imagine what they were thinking when they got the text or the email from the government. That you know, obviously they had to get some form of communication from the government that said you need to go to your ancestral home. And, and, and all of Palestine, this happened. And that meant that you had to go back to, in your genealogy, to where you came from. And in Joseph's case, this was a genealogy of David. Matter of fact, the city of David was Bethlehem. That's how it's known, okay? So they had to go to Bethlehem. I, I just, I'm just imagining what that was like when they're reading the communique. And, and they're 60 miles away from Bethlehem, where they live, okay? And, and Joseph is telling Mary, we have to go to Bethlehem. And Mary goes, now? Yeah, it has to be in this time frame. Well, Joseph, I'm, I'm nine months pregnant. I mean, that just does not, I've never been pregnant, you know, at all. I never want to be. But I can't even imagine, ladies, those of you that have been, in your ninth month, does it sound fun to take a 60-mile hike? And probably it's even worse if you're riding a donkey, right? <laughs> Some of the other days, I said, they're having to walk 60 miles. And they said, no, she got to ride a donkey. Oh, wow, that's exciting. Yeah, that felt good. Wow, that's a big step up. Have you ever heard the phrase, of all the times? Uh, you know, wh- when do we say that? Of all the times. It's like, it just couldn't be worse. I wonder if, if Joseph ever just kind of looked at Mary and said, of all the times, or Mary probably said that to Joseph, but they had to go. It was the law. They couldn't get out of it. Listen, being in God's will has very little to do with making life convenient. Our, our, our little American Christian, Christianese, our little ways of saying, you know, put God in the basket and He'll help you and You'll be rich and you'll always be healthy and you won't have any troubles and your kids will always be perfect. It's, it's like a magic potion that certain people try to sell you that if you have Jesus, you have all of that. And it's just not true. It's a lie. Walking with God is difficult. We live in a nation where we can walk with God. But there are people who are suffering terribly today because they're walking with God. And it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. And it's not going to be easy for Joseph and Mary. One thing you need to know in the story, just from a theological viewpoint, the tax, you know, you talk about they had to go and be taxed. Um, I know, how many of you love to pay taxes? You just love, when you drive down a nice new paved road, you go, yeah, my tax dollars at work right here. There's some truth in that. But this wasn't to go pay money. These census were taken. People had to go to their home. And they had to sign in, and they would basically say how many kids they've had since the last time we did the census. Have they bought any property? How many sheep do they have? It was really the writing down of all of their values. Now, that might involve taxation later, but this was a census so the government would have knowledge about what was going on in their life. This whole lineage thing is important because the Bible prophesies that the Messiah will come out of a little town called Bethlehem. Now, that means 
that he's going to be born in Bethlehem. We have a gap problem. They're not in Bethlehem. They're 60 miles away. So I don't think Joseph went back to the prophet Micah, five, chapter 5, verse 2, and said, Mary, guess what? We need to go to Bethlehem because that's where baby Jesus needs to be born. No, I don't think he knew that yet. I think he got the government letter and he knew he had to go whether he liked it or not. Here, what's the point of all this? The point is God has a master plan up there and he's saying, how am I going to get them to Bethlehem? They're not going to go there on their own. They have no reason to go there. And so let me see. How about, uh, how about Augustus? Yeah, okay. I'll put something on his heart, on his mind. He'll make a rule. And he does. <laughs> you know what's amazing to me? Is how many times we have strong opinions about government decisions and, and world leaders and who's evil and who's good and what's going to happen. And we have all these little discussions and we watch the news and we get our blood pressure all up and we don't know and we're mad and we're angry and we're writing letters. I believe we should do stuff. But I think God has a plan and we might not know what it is and it might look really bad before it looks really good. And I want to learn that from this story. Because these stories in the story are massive. Let's face it. The big story is God sends Jesus. Jesus comes to the earth. He's born. He dies for our sins. That's the big story. But what we're talking about here are all the stories in the story. And, and I can't believe that God used Augustus. He used all these people who don't claim to be followers. And yet God's in control. You can trust a God who knows what He's doing. Some of you really need to hear that today. Number two, God's provision may not be what you expect. His timing is not predictable like sometimes we want it to be. And His provision isn't sometimes it doesn't measure up to what we expect. This happened to Joseph and Mary when they came to try to get a room in Bethlehem. Obviously, it's really crowded there, so let's read the account. Verse 6, while they were there... The time came for her baby to be born. Of course it did. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger. Key phrase. Because there was no lodging available for them. If God can move on Augustus, why can't he get a room for them? Mary's done everything right. Joseph has done everything right that we can see. And God can't get a room ready? I mean, I th was there ever a moment when Joseph is standing at the counter and, and Mary's saying, Oh, I feel, I feel some contractions, Joseph. And Joseph says, We need a room fast. And they say, We don't have any. Do you ever think there was a moment when he kind of goes, Really? Could you help us out a little bit here? I mean, this is impossible. I, if I was God, I would have put him in the Ritz on the top floor, the whole floor, in the suite, with a big basket, with a big red bow that said, Merry Christmas, Christ has come, with, filled with like chocolate-covered almonds. <laughs> right? But that's our way of thinking. It's not how God thinks. This becomes part of the story, and there are reasons for it, which we'll get into in just a minute. But you have to know, and I have to know, that this is a big part of the story because God has a plan for the common person. God didn't want His plan to become unveiled by some big kingdom ruler who comes down from heaven on a white horse. Okay? 
that, that takes us to the next point really easily. Number three, God's heroes may surprise us. I think we're going to be surprised someday when we see the power of prayer from Grandma. And no one knew them. I think it's going to be amazing when we see the awards given out at heaven and who did what. And a lot of no names that we've never heard of because of what they did. This is a powerful story in verse 8. Of all the things God would use, it would be shepherds. Now, just to set it up, the shepherds were... Now, I'm sure these didn't fit this stereotype at the level I'm going to say it, but if you read culture, times of the New Testament, history accounts of shepherds, they were considered thieves. They were low life. They were dirty, filthy. They lived on the hillside. They did not have cleanliness as we know it. It was a really messy job. It was a hard job. Very few people did it. It was a minimum wage job. And and they were not respected. And why what is God thinking that he's going to send the message to the shepherds before anybody else? That just shows you something about the character of God. You got to love this. Verse 8. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them. The radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. Of course they were. But the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. You will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. And I won't read all the rest of this, but it goes on to say... The the armies of heaven, this huge host, were singing glory to God in the highest. And it's this powerful uh, thing about the angels rejoicing and being glad. And and the the shepherds kind of come to themselves after this revelation and say, let's go. Let's go to Bethlehem and see. And they went off the mountain. And sure enough, they found Jesus. Just like the Bible had said, or the angel had said. And in verse 18 it says, all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. After they left, they started telling the story. And I I wonder, honestly, if Luke, the writer of this, is saying they were astonished because it was the shepherds telling the story? Or were they astonished about the story? I think it was both. Because shepherds didn't have inside information. Shepherds just didn't have news like this. This news would be handed down to the highest levels of authority. The Messiah is being born. Wow. But that's not God's plan. God said, I want to take it to the lowest common denominator of all time because I'm coming for them. Because I don't know if that gives you hope, but that gives me such hope that I serve a God that cares about that kind of stuff. Because injustice is such a real thing and such a real problem in our world. And I just, I'm just thankful to be a part of God's plan. When I think of, of shepherds, it also kind of makes me realize that I shouldn't be all that surprised because you look at the Old Testament, who were shepherds? You know, Abraham was a herdsman, which basically means a very rich shepherd. Um, I think of Moses. God mightily used Moses, and, and he was a shepherd. Guess who else? David. David was a shepherd. Isn't that ironic? And, and God has this place for shepherds. Even Jesus, 
in his three ministry years on the earth, he said to the people listening to him teach, he said, I am the good shepherd. I love my sheep. They know my voice. So there's this insight that we have of how God thinks and the way that he cares about you. See, God will depend on you if you will let him. God has a purpose and a plan for you if you will realize it and not be afraid. Number four in your outline. God's Son becomes our Savior. God's Son becomes our Savior. Thank God for this. And I I look at this and I think this is kind of the heart of the story. Jesus is born. All is well. We're making progress. Verse 19. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. One translation says she pondered these things to rethink. Well, wouldn't you if you were Mary from the beginning, this angel saying you're going to have a child, seeing it all the way through to Bethlehem, this baby is born, these, these shepherds come out of the heel, hills with no announcement that you know about, saying this is Jesus, the Messiah, all this declaration over this child, wow. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God, For all they had heard and seen, it was just as the angel had told them. Wow. Can I just say, if if I if I wasn't raised as a Christian and had a deep faith from being the time I was a little boy, I don't think I could be a non believer because no human being, if they wanted to write a story about God redeeming mankind, No one would think of this. No one would write a story like this. It's just too out there. It's no. If if I was going to write a story of the redemption of man, it would be, it would just be this great story that would be believable. It would be logical. It would make sense to people, and they could just climb up the ladder one ring at a time. You know, you know what I'm saying. But God has a plan bigger, and greater, and more complex than anything we could create. Or make up, I believe. What does all this mean? I, I love to just take a few minutes at the end of a message and, and make application in our lives where we really live every day. Because there's a dark side to this story. I, I was thinking even next year I might, I might do a series. One of the sermons I think might, might be the dark side of Christmas. Because number one in, in that section there, not everyone will believe. Not everyone's going to believe this story. That creates challenges for us, dilemmas. I want everyone to believe. You know, if you're God and you've made a plan to redeem the world and forgive all the sins of the world, it's pretty heartbreaking to look at the earth today and see people who curse your name. And you're going, wow, I I really wanted to save you. I really have a plan here that... Herod is a part of the Christmas story. How many of you know who Herod is? He's a wicked king. Remember the Magi? Stargazers? The star pops out of nowhere, this bright new star, and they knew stars, and they're going, that's new. Let's go check it out. Have you ever, have you ever decided to chase a star? I mean, most people believe these were rich dudes that had all the money in the world. They could just do what they wanted with their time, and, and they, they loved gazing at stars. And there's one, this low-hanging star that was moving. And they decided, let's go. And they brought these gifts because they knew a king was going to be born. 
They didn't understand the fullness of the story, but they knew something was up. Even God used the heavens and the galaxies and nature to reveal the birth of his son. Think of that. There's a message there. So they follow it. They end up where Jesus is. But on the way, Herod, they meet up with him, and, he, and they tell him, a, a, a new king is being born. And he's like, well, let's stop that. I don't want someone replacing me. So what does he do? How many of you remember what he does? He has every, every boy, child, two years and under killed. Whoa. That's not a very happy story for a whole lot of families when the Roman soldiers are coming in and taking your baby out and killing him. What is going on here? What, how could that happen? How could that be a part of this story? I'll tell you why. Not everyone is going to believe it. And when you don't have God at the front of your life, hate and jealousy and envy and arrogance and pride are a real part of their lives. We battle it, but we can have victory because of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's why when you look around the world, have you ever said, I can't believe they would do that to someone? I can't believe they would do that to innocent children. Well, that's a picture of life without the grace of God. That's what it is. That's what it is. Not everyone is going to believe. Number two, I think this is a real reality. Trust and faith are required. You really can't share this story with the hope that someone can just say, oh, okay, I get it. There's got to be a moment where faith and trust come into their life and something connects. And that's what we're all about as a church, is that moment that people can see the light of God. That's what I'm praying for on Christmas Eve and weekends like this. For some of you who are in here right now, and you're not sure, you just don't really believe the story. I can't convince you, but the Holy Spirit of God can impact your life in such a way that trust is birthed and faith out of nowhere comes popping out of you and you're saying, I, I believe this. Faith and trust. Some people have a really difficult time um, I'm glad that we had a disciple named Thomas. Aren't you? What do we call him? Doubting Thomas. Why? Because the guy doubts a little bit. and He gets the label. I doubt all the time, and I don't have a label. Doubting Thomas. All because he, he wasn't there when Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And he missed the, the party when Jesus came and revealed himself to the disciples. And he's pouting away and saying, I'm not going to believe it. I, he didn't show me anything. And, Finally, Jesus comes and meets him where he is. That's what I love about God. He'll meet you where you are. He said, feel the, the nail scars here. Put your hand in my side, Thomas. And then Thomas was like, okay, okay, I believe. Just a little faith, a little trust. Number three, one of my favorite things, hope is always available. Since Jesus came, regardless of the darkest night of your soul, Hope is available. There are some days when you don't feel hopeful. I'm, I'm pretty, I've been, I've been praying for something for about 25 years, about my third year in this role here at Timberline. We started having all these young people in our community here in northern Colorado committing suicide. And there was a season when we led the nation per capita in suicides among young people. I don't know why. It's such a great place to live. It just blows my mind. But it really troubled me. And we started praying and we gathered as pastors around the city to start praying that this would not be a reality. And, and it just caused me, even this week, to think, 
about this hope thing. Why, why would someone take their own life? The reason that happens is, and I mean besides mental illness and some of the things that are associated, depression, discouragement, but when you lose hope, when there is nothing left inside of you that you can't make it, not through next week, but through this hour, I am done. I want to be done. There's something really dark about that that is godless. And our enemy wants to take us to that place over and over and just beat us up and rail on us to cause us to lose hope. And some of you, if you're close to losing hope in a situation or your life, I just want to tell you, I'm the messenger today to say hope is available. That's the Christmas story. Don't give up. The last thing that I want to say is eternity is real. Eternity is real. This is really big because this life is very temporary. You know, church is a place where we say that sometimes. Well, you know, we're just pilgrims passing through. It's true. It's what the Bible teaches. But I think we don't, we don't let that sink in a whole lot. Because we, we take it pretty hard when things don't go well. And we get pretty enmeshed in what's going on here on this earth instead of thinking about eternity. I, uh, I, I had a really unique experience as a kid, and I, there's, there's sides of me that are thankful for it. I accepted Christ when I was probably around seven. And uh, my family, some of you know my, my story. I won't take long, but this eternity, eternity piece really resonates with me because of what happened. At 14 years old, I have four sisters, okay, two older, two younger. And uh, we lost our dad in about a two-and-a-half-year battle with cancer. And it was tough going through all that. And I remember December 1st, that evening, about 6 o'clock, when my mom got home from the hospital, we were all there. We had all been called in because we knew it was probably going to be the end unless God did a total miracle. And um, there were some people, friends of the family at the house, and we all met Mom at the front door for the news. And I can still see our family huddled there. And my mom put her arms around us, and we sort of just became this big huddle. And she said something to the effect of, Dad's not with us anymore. He's, he's gone to be with the Lord. And we all cried, and we were very sad. But there was something in that moment that captured me because a, a pastor friend of my dad was in the house with us from a different city. And he immediately came over to the family, put his big old arms around us, and he had this deep, low voice. And he prayed for us. And he was standing right next to me, and I can still feel his grip on my shoulder. And then he said something after he prayed. He said, listen, tears are real. You should feel sorrow. You should be sad. It's okay. All these emotions are real, but you do need to know that it is true. You will be with your dad again. And something like a needle went into my spirit, and I believed it, and I knew it was true, and I still know it's true. Some of you have lost loved ones that you will be with again. The challenge is when you've lost loved ones and you're not sure where they spend eternity, but God is a fair and just God. Amen? And we know that. We can trust that eternity is real. Let's live 
for that. Let's pray. Challenging, Lord, but true. And it just feels so right to know that you have a plan for us. Let the peace of God be close to those in this room right now. Let the peace of God quicken the spirit, calm the heart. Lord, I just ask you to do what only you can do. People facing impossible situations, the issues that are way beyond our own comprehension, I just ask God that you will be strong, really strong in their heart right now. With heads bowed in here, I just want to pray for a couple things. I want to pray for some of you who feel discouraged. And it might not be, you know, to the point of despair or something like that, but discouragement can lead slowly to despair if we don't get get to the source of it and, and turn it around. And so I don't want you to be embarrassed. You don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to, but it's it's to God. You're just you're just saying that's me. I want in on this prayer. Um, if you're discouraged about whatever it is, it doesn't matter. We're not going to ask you, but you want you let us pray for you. Just hold up a hand. Go ahead. God bless you. You can put them right back down. It's just a sign to God. Lord, church, help me. Help me pray. Just in your heart right now, would you agree with me in this prayer? Lord, it's a tough thing when you get discouraged and and you think about the reasons why you're discouraged and sometimes you can't put your finger on it exactly. It's usually the complication of a whole lot of things. But I'm just asking you right now to be really strong in our brothers and sisters who are facing this discouragement in their life. You are the lifter of our heads, the Word of God says which means you can take us from that sad place. You can lift us out of the pit. You can help us to have hope once again. And I pray that you will plant seeds of this faith and this hope that we will trust you in this circumstance, God. Shine a light in that darkness, even right now, as I pray. The second thing I want us to pray for is sort of unique. I felt the Holy Spirit prompt me with it this week, and and this is what it is. It's for those of you who feel that you're being forced into a Bethlehem experience. Say, well, what does that mean? I'm talking about Joseph and Mary. They didn't want to go. It wasn't good timing. It, it didn't, quote, all work out. And, and I, think, I think we sometimes in our culture, either through laws or the complexity of relationships or an ex or children or things that, that are kind of beyond your control and the pressure's there, you're being forced down this path into something that's really troubling to you. And you just need prayer to make wise decisions. Just lift your hand if that's you. It can be one person or more, but just lift it up. I just want to pray over you. Lord, I pray that as as this journey to Bethlehem continues, against our will, that we will yield to you in our integrity and our character, and that our strength will be seen in our consistency of our faith in you. Let that mark us. Be with my brothers and sisters who are being sort of drugged to this place in spite of their efforts. I just pray that you will be strong in them and encourage them and let them know you will meet them in Bethlehem. And there is a purpose even for them there. For the rest of us, Lord, we pray your grace and strength. I pray for that one who's in this room separated from you right now. You know, if that's you and you know it, just... If faith is growing in your heart and you feel the conviction of the sweet Holy Spirit, just pray this prayer with me. Lord, cleanse my heart. I believe. I come to you. Faith is being birthed in me, and I know I've sinned. I know I'm separated from you. Forgive me. Cleanse me. 
I trust that you are God's son. You died on that cross for me, and I give you my life. I thank you, and I accept forgiveness. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Wow. It's a great season. I hope you can enjoy, enjoy it and breathe it in. Amen. Ushers, come. Uh, while they're coming, we have the privilege of having Jerry Palmer with us this weekend, and uh, love him. Thank you. <laughs> So good. Wow. Thank you, Jerry, so much. We appreciate it. I know I'll never play the guitar like that, but man, I'd like to have that much hair. <laughs> would you stand if you're able with me? God bless you today. Our prayer team is coming right now. We would love to pray with you about any need that you might bring today. Let us pray in agreement that God will help you. I want to wrap this up by praying for our Christmas Eve. Uh, day and for anyone that you might bring that just is struggling in their faith i know i have quite a bit of friends quite a, quite a few friends coming that don't really follow the lord and i'm just being really prayerful so lord we as a family agree that there would just be a moment when you really grip the heart lord that this this will be a powerful celebration and the candle lighting and all that we do but but that's not why we do it we do it to say thank you and that we celebrate let your spirit be so heavy in this room in all these auditoriums that your presence has to be noticed and that it will capture people and change them let us be vessels and agents to help make that happen for the glory of god amen amen say it with me the service starts now god bless you thanks for being timberline see you next week See you Christmas Eve.